Well, good evening, Calvert family. Uh, so, of course, we are celebrating Ash Wednesday, and, and like Troy said, um, we, we know there's a lot of questions, a lot of whys. Uh, you know, why are we celebrating Ash Wednesday in Lent? Isn't that a, a Lutheran and Catholic thing? Why ashes? Why, why just this whole Lenten season? Why 40 days? And why and what on earth is the deal with people giving up chocolate and meat and sweets? <laughs> well, these are all great questions. And I, and I think one of the best ways to answer that is, is kind of by jumping off into a story here. And it's an old story, so you might have heard this before. Uh, as the story goes, there was a, a young couple, a, and, and this young wife, uh, she was planning on making her first big meal since her parents were in town visiting. And so she sent her husband out to buy a ham. And, and when he came back with it, she looked at it, and, and she asked him, why didn't he have the butcher cut the ends off of the ham? And he was like, what? Cut the ends off? Why would you do that? She's like, well, that's the way you're supposed to cook it. I mean, that's the way my mother always did it, and it tasted great. And then curiosity got the best of her, and, and since her mother was there visiting, she decided to ask her mother why she cuts the ends off the ham, and her mother thought about it, and she said, well, that's the way Grandma always did it, and it tasted great. And, well, then the mother and the daughter kind of decided to solve this three-generation-old mystery, and so they got on the phone and called up grandma and asked why she cuts the ends off the ham. And, and grandma said, huh? Why do I cut the ends off? Well, it's because it doesn't fit in my roaster. Why do we do the things we do? Sometimes we don't know, and, and the only answer we have is, well, uh, that's the way it's always been done. And there are a lot of folks that celebrate Ash Wednesday and Lent because uh, as they understand it, that's just what they're supposed to do. It's tradition. Well, Grandma cut the ends off of the ham for a reason. Uh, there was a purpose. And the same goes for celebrating Ash Wednesday and the season of Lent. And so in regard to that first why, why are we celebrating Ash Wednesday and Lent? And isn't that a, a Lutheran and Catholic thing? Uh, well, Catholics, Lutherans, Methodists, Anglicans, and uh, many others do celebrate Ash Wednesday and Lent, but it's not their thing. Uh, like Troy mentioned, uh, it's, the celebration of Lent is old. In fact, it's far older than even Catholicism. Uh, in one of the earliest, it's one of the earliest known observations that we actually have on our Christian calendar. Uh, going all the way back to one of the earliest church fathers, Irenaeus, he wrote about the same season. Uh, the duration and, and some of the things were a little different, but he wrote about it just within a hundred years after Christ. And its purpose has always been the same. Self-examination and penitence demonstrated by self-denial in preparation for Easter. So we examine our hearts and the reality of the resurrection and we pause for a season of self-examination, penitence, and self-denial. So self-examination in that we allow ourselves to explore the areas where we're not believing the gospel in any particular area of our lives, and, and where maybe we're not letting Jesus change us. It's taking the time to discover, or even simply be honest with ourselves, those areas where we're not submitting any part of our lives to the Lord. It's intentionally creating space and time to take inventory of our souls as we prepare to fully celebrate the redemption that's coming in Easter Sunday. And the season includes penitence, 
Uh, Penitence doesn't have the same meaning as penance. It's a little confusing. Penance is is a punishment or a berating for sin, uh, trying to fix it ourselves. Penitence, on the other hand, uh, is another way of saying repentance, being burdened and saddened by our sin, uh, realizing we can't do anything about it by ourselves, and choosing to turn toward the Lord Jesus who alone can make atonement for our sin. And throughout Scripture, those who are mourning clothe themselves in sackcloth and ashes. And and for us, the ashes are a representation of our mourning over sin. Our sin and the sin that's in the world. And it's allowing our hearts to be broken over it in the same way that God's heart is broken over it. And this season includes self-denial. Scripture speaks of fasting for the purpose of simply denying ourselves. So, well, it's fine to deny ourselves for a time from chocolate or sweets or even Facebook. Uh, it, it really does go much deeper than that. It's like the, John the Baptist said, making less of us to make more of Christ. To take our eyes and our hearts away from those things that are passing and placing them on the things that are eternal. And reminding ourselves instead that God is our everything. God is what we really need, not food or shopping or electronics, uh, that no one or no thing will ever satisfy us like God does. And, and that's also where the 40 days comes in. Uh, it's a little confusing because there's actually 47 days f- from Ash Wednesday through Easter. And it, the way it works is because the 47 days comes from the, the way the Christian calendar from the Western Church viewed it, they didn't count the Sundays. And so that kind of knocked those off and brought it back down to 40. And so the question still is, why 40 days? Uh, what does 40 have to do with self-denial? Uh, throughout the Bible, there's actually a lot of powerful events that do occur with the number 40, but there's one specific passage of Scripture that the season of Lent intentionally draws from, and, and it gives the answer to why 40 days. Uh, and that is because for 40 days, Jesus fasted and suffered in the wilderness. And, and since the season of Lent draws so heavily uh, from this passage of Scripture, I, I'd like us to take a look at it together. Uh, we have some brown Bibles that are underneath the seats if you'd like one to use. And I'd like you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. So Matthew chapter 4, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11, and that's on page 682 of those brown Bibles. All right, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. 
Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Well, Jesus is led into the desert, and Satan tempts Jesus in three different ways. And and I think these are very specific. We see that he tempts Jesus in his faith, in his flesh, and in his fidelity. In In his flesh, in the lusts, passions, desires, cravings, appetite. In his faith, in his trust and reliance on God. There's security, safety, self-preservation, and in his fidelity, loyalty, and power, affirmation, pride, vanity, self. In fact, all three of these temptations include the promotion of self, and Jesus instead chooses self-denial. In the first temptation, Jesus is tempted in the flesh. Uh, before any of these temptations, he's, he's led into the desert and he fasts from food for 40 days and 40 nights. And it says he was hungry. That's an understatement if there ever was one. Uh, usually every day by 10 a.m., I'm hungry. All right? Jesus wasn't just hungry. He was starving. <laughs> and Satan, in this moment, in this weakened and vulnerable condition, comes to tempt him. And, and Satan tempts Jesus with one of the mo- in one of the most basic ways, in his flesh, Jesus tempts Jesus with the gratification of self by telling him to make bread. And Satan's temptation of Jesus is the same basic temptation that he tempts us all with. The lusts, passions, desires, cravings, and appetite of the flesh. You hungry? Eat it. You want that? Buy it. Take it. Steal it. You like that body? Look. Take. Have. Don't worry. No one will know. What's one bite going to do? It's the temptation of the flesh. And Satan's second temptation is to tempt Jesus in his faith. He tempts Jesus to question his identity and if the Father really loves him. Because if God really loved Jesus, he'd prove it. He'd save him. We, we see there's echoes of this temptation in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus asked God if there's possibly a different way, if he can be saved. And Satan's temptation cuts straight into our insecurities, our insecurities about self. Can God actually be relied upon and trusted this, this temptation plays out our deepest fears of security and safety and self-preservation. And many, like the rich young man that we see later in the book of Matthew, uh, walk away sad because they just can't let go of what they trust in most. It's the temptation of faith. And Satan's last temptation of Jesus is to try to tempt him in his fidelity. And, and essentially it's a tempting of his loyalties. Satan offers the world in all of its power, authority over it all, if Jesus will just switch loyalties. Just bow down and worship him. Many things fight for our loyalties, for our worship. We call them idols. 
They might not seem as nefarious as Satan himself, but anything that is not God is not God, including ourselves. And this is probably the most sinister and subtle of all the temptations. It tugs at those deep places of loyalty and power, affirmation, pride, vanity, and self. For us, the temptation of fidelity rarely looks like Satan asking us to worship him, and much more like a snare that we don't often see that slowly wraps around our neck and leads us to worship something other than the Lord including ourselves. And like Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, Satan also tempts us in our flesh, in our faith, and in our fidelity. But as we look to Jesus, uh, we see him defeat Satan's temptations in a single powerful way. He abides in the Father. He remains plugged into him. Jesus lives a life on the vine. In all three temptations, Jesus knows his identity, he knows God's word, and he knows the Father. So Jesus defeats Satan's temptations because he knows his identity. Uh, The book of Matthew is alluding to something that we might not see at first glance. Why did Jesus choose to fast 40 days? Well, Matthew's gospel always draws comparisons between Jesus and Israel. And Matthew is trying to show the the Jewish people how Jesus was the true Son of God. Israel, as a nation, uh, throughout Scripture had been considered God's chosen Son, but they continually failed. Israel was given the promised land, but then they rejected God's promises and wandered in the wilderness 40 years. And in those 40 years, they continued to fail. Jesus wandered in the wilderness 40 days, but we're... Israel, the chosen son of God, failed. Jesus, the true son of God, did not fail. But beyond that, we really can't miss this. Immediately before Jesus goes into the wilderness, he gets baptized by John the Baptist. And heaven is opened up and a voice from heaven says, This is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased. Jesus knew his identity. We defeat Satan's temptations when we know our identity in Christ. And when we know that in Jesus Christ, we are now sons and daughters of the Most High God. And with us, he is well pleased. Not because we have earned this, but because he's shown his great love and mercy to us through the person and work of Jesus Christ and now calls us sons and daughters. And Jesus defeats Satan's temptations because he knows God's word. Three times, Satan tries to tempt Jesus, once even using scripture. And three times, Jesus responds back with scripture. And, And I don't think he took scrolls with him into the wilderness. Jesus knew God's word in his heart. And more than that, Jesus doesn't just respond to Satan with random passages of scripture. Don't, don't miss this. Jesus specifically quotes from Deuteronomy 6 and 8, which is God's message to the Israelites about the lessons learned in the wilderness. Jesus learned the lessons, applied them to his heart, and he believed in God's words to defeat Satan's temptations. We defeat Satan's temptations when we put God's word in our hearts and apply it in our lives. 
And lastly, Jesus defeats Satan's temptation because he knows the Father. We can, he can confidently say, away from me, Satan, because he knows only the Lord alone is worthy of worship. He's plugged into the Father. He lives a life on the vine where God alone is his source of fulfillment, affirmation, and loyalty. God is greater than his flesh. He is the foundation of his faith, and he is the center of his fidelity. When we know our identity in Christ, know God's word, and know the Father, we begin to live life on the vine. And we're able to defeat the temptations of Satan. So, where are you at tonight? Where are you at in this season of life? Where are you at with your flesh, your faith, your fidelity? Perhaps in this season of Lent, you may want to ask yourself, is there an area of my life where I'm just giving in? Giving in to my flesh. Or is there an area of my life where I'm wrestling with my faith? Where I'm refusing to trust that God is good, that God's way is best, and I'm clutching onto safety and security rather than trusting in God and His ways? Or are you wrestling with fidelity, your loyalties? And you may want to ask yourself, are there idols I worship? Uh, Not things I literally bow down to, but idols of culture and self. What consumes my thoughts? What gets me most excited? More so than the kingdom. Is it sports or is it fashion or shopping or money? Are you always posting selfies? Are you always fishing for affirmation or desiring public recognition? Are you being aggressively patriotic? Are you vicariously living through the beauty or success of your children? Uh, Or continually seeking promotion or desiring status or always wanting to upgrade? Where are the loyalties of your heart? Where is your fidelity? As, as we head into this season of Lent, and as we self-examine our own hearts, what are the places that we may need to practice self-denial and penitence, repentance? Where do we need to join the Spirit in grieving? Where do we need to trust in the Gospel? Jesus didn't just model how to have victory over temptation But toward the end of Matthew's gospel, he specifically teaches us how to have victory over the temptations to our flesh, to our faith, and to our fidelity. To our our, our flesh and our self-gratification, he says, whoever would come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. To our faith and our insecurities, he says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me will find it. And to our fidelity and our loyalties, he says, what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Ash Wednesday marks the beginning of Lent. And so I want to come full circle back to that that very first question. Why, Why are we celebrating Ash Wednesday and Lent? I think the simple answer is because it gives us one more opportunity to celebrate Jesus, to trust in the gospel, and to follow him in living life on the vine. As Dan just got done saying, there's good historical precedent 
for uh, Ash Wednesday and the season of Lent, but there's also good uh, Old Testament precedent for it as well, as God had called out his own unique people, the nation of Israel, out to represent him to the nations around them. Does anyone know what the uh, most high and holy day in the Jewish calendar is? Day of Atonement. Yeah, Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. See, what happens is that God brings the Israelites out of the, out into the desert, and there they become his own special people. And he kind of has his first kind of family conference with them and kind of lays out what it means to represent him and to be his family. These are my rules. These are my regulations. And, and the whole book of Leviticus in the Old Testament talks about what it means to be God's holy people. See, God is completely holy. And in order to be his people and adequately represent him to the nations around him, they needed to be holy too. And so he, in the book of Leviticus, he institutes this whole kind of sacrificial system to purify and cleanse and make holy the people of Israel. So you had the sin offering, and then you had the guilt offering, and then you had all these other offerings. But one day out of the year, you had the biggest day of the entire Jewish calendar. That was Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And this was one day when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and there make atonement for the people and for the nation of Israel at that time. And then after the priest would come out of there... He would place his hands on a scapegoat, and there he would confess all the sins of the nation of Israel and, and kind of ceremonially place the sins of the nation on this goat. And then the goat would be led out of the city and into the wilderness, never to be seen again. Now, now leading up to Yom Kippur, there were ten days of awe called Rosh Hashanah. Okay? Let me hear you say Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah. Very good. So Rosh Hashanah was 10 days of preparation, 10 days of doing some introspection and soul searching and getting on your faces before God where you would be in prayer and repentance, preparing yourself for this one day when you as an entire nation were going to be cleansed and purified of your sins before the living God. And so this is, this is a time, this is a period where, the, where people started asking some serious questions about themselves individually and also about themselves communally as a nation. And then, uh, now remember, this is your chance as a community to become pure again in God's sight. So there is 10 days of weeping, 10 days of fasting and denying themselves so they can be, come before their God and be cleansed of their sins. Now, as Jewish tradition evolved, not only was there the ten days of Rosh Hashanah that led up to the Day of Atonement, but then they took the previous entire month to prepare for it as well. So you have the entire month of Elul, okay, and that was 30 days of preparing and soul-searching and doing some kind of spiritual inventory. So you had 30 days of that, and then you had ten days of Rosh Hashanah, Right? And that makes how many days? Forty days. So you had 40 days as an Israelite, as a Jew, to prepare yourself for the most holy day when you were going to have your sin atoned for as a community. Now, 
We know that Jesus is the ultimate scapegoat, right? John the Baptist declared, he says, look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And his death on the cross and the resurrection is the ultimate day of atonement for us. And so could it be that as God's unique called out people in the world, in order to fully enter into the joy of Resurrection Sunday, it would be appropriate for us to first spend some time doing some soul-searching of ourselves? Could it be that in order for us to fully experience the profound nature of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the joy of Easter Sunday, that it might be good and right and appropriate for us as a people to spend a season of just communally hitting the pause button and getting right before God? And perhaps doing some denying of ourselves and taking some spiritual inventory. I think that doing this will make Easter Sunday that much more special and that much more joyous and that much more impactful if we spend this time as a community taking this time together. And so... In following the tradition of millions of Christians from the earliest days of our movement and as a reflection of the people of God in the Old Testament, as they anticipate their own day of atonement, we want to invite you to enter into the season of Lent as we take communion and traditionally place ashes upon the forehead of those who wish to get them. Now, about this whole ash thing, okay, there may be some of you here. What is the deal with the ashes? Now, for those of you who grew up in a Catholic church, you know that the ashes are rich in in symbolism. They're both a sign of our own repentance, because in the Old Testament, when people repented, they repented in sackcloth and ashes. But it is also a reminder of our own mortality, that one day we too are going to go back to dust from which we were made from. Now, Contemplating your own mortality is not some morbid kind of melancholy thing that you need to do, okay? It's actually one of the best things that you can do is to contemplate your own mortality, to realize that I too one day am going to die, that this life as we currently experience is not all there is, that we're all going to end up in the grave because of our sin. But because of the day of atonement, the great day of atonement on the cross, we anticipate a resurrection when Jesus will take our ashes and he will resurrect them again. And we'll have life everlasting in his presence in unending joy and love. But in order to first recognize the profound nature of that, we want to enter into the season together. So what we're going to do is we're going to invite you to go to one of the five tables that we have scattered throughout the room. And if you want to go as a small group, you can go as a small group. But we're going to take communion together as, as, as a community. And, um, and if you just go up to the tables, there's table leaders. They're going to, they're going to kind of lead you through some devotional stuff and and, and talk you through that together. We're going to take it in groups. 
groups of, you know, maybe 10 or 11. And then for those who wish, we're going to have someone up here with ashes, and we're going to have ashes put on your forehead if you so desire to do that. And while that's going on, we're going to just have some music, and then we'll all come back together for a time of prayer. So let's pray as we prepare this. Father, we thank you for the seasons and the rituals and the traditions that we get to partake in. We thank you for the annual reminder of Easter and your death and resurrection. But we also thank you for the time that you give us in the space to reflect on our need for the cross. So we pray that we might enter into this humbly, appropriately, reverently over these next few weeks together. We pray this. Amen.